Good morning. It is good to see everybody here today. I'm glad that you are with us. My name is Patrick. As uh, Zach said, I'm one of the elders here at Harvest Point, and I'm especially thankful this morning for the reminder uh, through song and through prayer of the holiness of God. It is only a holy God that commands all the hosts of heavens, that will one day make every king bow down, that has the power to raise the dead. It is only a holy God that could rescue us from our failings and invites us to call him Father. So thank you, worship team. Thank you, Zach, for your prayer this morning. Uh, I think it's going to set us up well for where we're going today. And today we're going to be in Psalm 32. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And, And while you do... I want to ask you some questions, and there's no need to raise your hand on these or uh, respond out loud, uh, but be thinking about them as I read them. So here we go. Have you ever sinned? Have you ever hurt someone, either physically or emotionally? Have you ever broken the law? Have you ever thought something wicked or lustful or hateful or vengeful? Have you ever wanted something so badly that you've lied, cheated, or stole to get it? Have you ever just been willfully disobedient? Is there something that you know you should have done, but you didn't do it? Have you sinned? Now think for a moment about how those things or that thing you did made you feel. Who was affected by it? Were there consequences to this sin? What did you do in response? Did someone else call you out on your sin? How did others respond to your sin? Is this still something that is unknown to others? Are you even bothered at all by your sin? Do you realize that you are a sinner? Now, those are some not-so-easy questions to be thinking about as we start our morning together. I get it. But it's important that we recognize who we are if we're to understand what God has done. Thankfully, the Bible provides for us an example in King David of someone who understood who he was in relation to a holy God. Someone who sinned. Someone who sinned quite egregiously, as a a matter of fact. And not only is that sin recorded for us in Scripture, but David records for us in the Psalms how that sin affected him, what he did in response, and how God responded to David. Most of us know David's story, but let me quickly refresh your memory. Uh, David's life is recorded in the Old Testament in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel and 1 Kings. 
It's there where we can read that David was chosen and anointed by God to succeed Saul as the next king of Israel. David reigned as king, sought to do all that God commanded him, won many battles, and things appeared to be going well. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, where we read of David's sin with Bathsheba. David, while out for a stroll on his rooftop, observes another man's wife bathing from afar, sees that she is beautiful, desires her. He then has his men get her for him, commits adultery with her, and in doing so, she becomes pregnant. Instead of coming clean with what he had done, David dove deeper into sin and attempted to fix his sin to cover it up himself by arranging for Bathsheba's husband Uriah to come home from battle, hoping he would sleep with his wife, but that plan fails. So he then goes deeper into sin still and arranges for Uriah to be sent to the front lines that he would die in battle, and that is exactly what happens. David then takes Bathsheba to be his wife, And she bore him a son, but 2 Samuel chapter 11 finishes with these words. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God then sends his prophet Nathan to rebuke David. And this is a harsh rebuke. Nathan basically comes to David and sets him up with a story of two men, one rich and one poor, The rich man has many herds, many things, many lambs, and the poor man only has one lamb that he raised from a young age, that he loved dearly. It was all that he had. He fed this lamb from his table. He wrapped his arms around this lamb and loved it. In the story, the rich man has a guest coming over, and instead of sacrificing one of his own lamb for that guest... He takes the poor man's lamb and sacrifices that lamb. And as David hears this story, he gets angry and he says, As the Lord lives, the man who's done this deserves to die. But in verse 7 through 9 of 2 Samuel 12, we read God's rebuke where Nathan then says to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little I would add to you as much more why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites Can you imagine what that would have felt like in that moment? David, you know, he was enraged about the little lamb and the story, recognizing the injustice there, but yet his injustice was far greater. God then lays out the consequences of this sin and the discipline that will follow, and we get to see how David responds in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, when he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now as we turn to Psalm 32, 
a psalm written by David, we understand better the situation that David is talking about within the psalm as the 32nd psalm has often been linked to David's sin with Bathsheba. Psalm 32 is considered a wisdom psalm. It's not so much a prayer, but more a reflection that provides wisdom for life. It is also considered a penitential psalm as it speaks of God's forgiveness for those that repent of their sin. So let's read Psalm 32 together, beginning with verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's start by, by looking at the effect of David's sin. We see in verses 1 and 2 that David recognizes how fortunate he is that God has forgiven him. He speaks of the one whose sins having been forgiven as being blessed. And this is not blessed in the sense that our culture often associates being blessed. This is in no way saying that through God's forgiveness that David was now going to be financially better off. That he was going to be financially blessed or that now everything was always going to go his way. If you read further into David's story, you'll find that everything certainly did not always later go his way. This word for blessed denotes the idea of being joyful. Joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Joyful is the man against who the Lord counts no iniquity. You even get a sense of immense gratitude as you read this. It's easy to see how David could have felt this way as we read on in verses 3 through 4. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Imagine the weight of conviction that was on David having done what he had done. This is what sin does. Sin brings this weight, this conviction. Sin brings this burden. David knew God. 
He was chosen by him, anointed by him. We're told in the book of Acts that David was a man after God's own heart, yet he was caught up in sin. We don't know how long it was before Nathan the prophet confronted David, but it's obvious from verses 3 and 4 that in keeping quiet about it and hiding this secret sin that he was sick, the weight of the conviction was heavy. Mighty King David was weakened by this overwhelming burden. Hebrews 12.6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. David appears to have understood this as he says, Your hand was heavy upon me. God intended for him to feel this way. This illness, this weakness, this guilt was brought about in David's life to garner a response from him. Guilt can be to the conscience what pain is to the body. It tells us that something is wrong and must be made right or things will get worse. David desired to please God in his life, but we know that God hates sin. Remember this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The scriptures tell us that. The Lord was with David. He loved David as a son, but the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And this now leads us to the solution to David's sin. So how did David resolve this? How did he go from the weight of this burden to the joy of forgiveness? Verse 5 tells us, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We hear this word iniquity often, and its dictionary meaning is immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Synonymous with sinfulness and wickedness. He's saying, you forgave the wickedness of my sin, my grossly unfair behavior. David finally confessed his sin to God rather than refusing to admit it. God brought conviction upon his heart. David recognized that he was a sinner. And he asked God for forgiveness and God forgave. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Another psalm written by David. And through the amazing wisdom and grace of God, we have recorded for us what that prayer of repentance looks like. Psalm 51, starting in verse 1, we read, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. There's so much here. Okay? But notice David's perspective. Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David's perspective is spot on here. It's against you, God, that I have sinned. Not just Uriah, not just Bathsheba, not my kingdom of followers. It is ultimately you, God, that I have sinned against. Whatever judgment you have for me is right. I am a sinner. I was brought forth in sin. It is who I am. This is godly grief that David is displaying here, not worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is saying, I'm sorry that I got caught. Worldly sorrow is praying a prayer because we desire a get out of hell free card, but we continue to live with no change in our heart or our lives. Godly grief is to be genuinely broken over our sin. It recognizes the utter sinfulness of sin and hates it more and more. Kevin DeYoung in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness, says that godly grief doesn't blame parents, it doesn't blame the schools or the government or friends or the church. Godly grief says, have mercy on me, oh God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David says, this sin is mine. He owns it. And his grief over that sin, it leads him to seek repentance. In verse 6 of Psalm 32, we see David doing what he said he would do in Psalm 51 when he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways. He's advising the godly to confess their sins quickly here. It says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Sin separates us from God. Don't wait. Repent now. Seek God's forgiveness now. Don't experience the discipline if you don't have to. Like the Israelites crossing the Red Sea that we learned about two weeks ago, the rush of great waters did not reach them. They followed God, trusted in His promises, and they were spared God's judgment. The floodwaters of God's judgment for sin will come, but the praying man will be at a safe distance. David tells us here to pray and trust in God's promise to forgive those that earnestly seek Him for forgiveness. So how does this apply to us? This applies to us because we are like David. As you've listened to the sermon, you may be saying to yourself, well, that's, you know, that's all fine and good, and, you know, but I've never committed adultery. I've 
I've never had someone killed. I'm a good person. Are you though? Scripture tells us that none is righteous. No one seeks after God. No one does good. Not even one. Jesus in his sermon on the mount preached, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In regards to adultery, he preached, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So maybe we're more like David than we realize. By the standard that Jesus lies out for us, are we any different than David? When we look at pornography or read smutty novels, is that not the same in the eyes of God as when David watched Bathsheba from that rooftop and didn't look away? When we insult and criticize and slander or get angry with our brother or sister, are we not in sin? Before a holy God, is there any of us that can stand as righteous, not needing forgiveness? Or maybe you're, you're on the other side of this and you're thinking, I'm, I'm not only like David, but, but I've done worse. You think of yourself such a wretched person that there's no way that God could forgive you. You're holding on a secret sin, refusing to repent. Your heart is hardened. Maybe today the burdens of your sins are so heavy upon you that you're almost ill because of it. Look with me at verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Here it is thought that God takes over the pen of David and tells us in this psalm that he will instruct us and teach us in the way we should go. Well, how does he do that? Through his word. And all of God's word is pointing us to Christ. When I asked earlier, if before a holy God, is there any of us that can stand as righteous, not needing forgiveness? The answer to that is that in and of ourselves, there is not. But Jesus can. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he took upon himself the wrath of God that we deserved in judgment for our sin. In doing so, through faith in him, by the grace of God, we can stand before a holy God as forgiven sinners. But God says, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't be stubborn like David and and endure the discipline of the Lord. But also don't rush out of the gate ahead of God and think that you can fix this on your own. Go quickly to Him in faith, seeking repentance through Christ. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Yes, if you continue in your wickedness, if you're not bothered by your sin, there are many sorrows coming your way, not only in this life, but in the life to come. 1 John 1.8 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Like David, the believer in Christ will feel the weight of sin in their life. They will feel the hand of God heavy upon them. 
But here is the hope. Here is the way you should go. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What does that look like for us? Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we go back and look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says there that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No matter what you have done, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the way that you should go. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Jesus as their only hope in life and in death. When David went to the Lord seeking forgiveness, he was trusting in his promise. The promise of the one to come. The promise of Christ. Church, David understood who he was before the Lord. He recognized himself for who he was before a holy God. It was not long before David sinned with Bathsheba that David had witnessed a man named Uzzah get struck dead by God for inappropriately touching the Ark of the Covenant. David understood that without the forgiveness of his sins, he had no hope. Think back now to the questions that I asked you when I first started this sermon. And let's read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32 again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Church, if you have placed your faith in Christ and repented of your sins, how truly blessed are you today? When you, when you look at these verses, they're talking about you. You're the one. You're the one whose sins have been forgiven, whose transgressions are covered. That's you if you've placed your faith in Christ. How much joy do these passages bring you? How much gratitude is in your heart for what he has done for you? Your blessing is not of this world. Your greatest need has already been met in that your sins have been forgiven. He has been faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You will stand before a holy God as a forgiven sinner. And you will one day feel the steadfast love of God surrounding you for eternity. How amazing is that truth? If you have never placed your faith in Christ, though, is this new information to you? Is this the first time that you've, you've heard these things? Or are you being a mule, stubbornly dragging your feet in disobedience? I can't say this clearer than how I'm about to say that there is no other way. There is not many paths all leading to the same place. There is one way for your relationship to be restored to the almighty God of the universe. Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. I I am pleading with you today to trust in Jesus. Experience the joy of forgiveness. Experience these verses here. Experience the steadfast love of the one who created you. As we enter enter into a song of praise and worship, the worship team, go on on ahead and go ahead and come on up here. Let's, Let's end this with a command from the Lord that completes this psalm. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. As we heard from Pastor Jeremy last week, God's people sing, right? It is a natural outpouring of a changed life, of a changed heart, somebody who has received this type of joy, this type of grace, God is offering this grace to us. It is a free gift. How could you not receive that and then want to, not want to sing your heart out in praise to him this morning? I hope that we blow the doors off this place in praise to our king. So let me pray and then we'll worship him together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you so much for this grace that we do not deserve that you offer to us freely. That no matter what we have done, no matter what burdens we are feeling, Lord, that that we can come to you, that you will forgive us. That you allow us to call you Father. That you show us that kind of mercy and love. Lord, may may there be a joy that is just welling up in our hearts today over this truth. You are a good and gracious King. Let us praise the name. Praise your name this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. that you allow us to call you Father. That you show us that kind of mercy and love. Lord, may may there be a joy that is just welling up in our hearts today over this truth. You are a good and gracious King. Let us praise the name. Praise your name this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray.